Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, yes. how you doing? Well, I want to ask you, I've been holding off on asking you because oh. I wanted to say this on the podcast. Oh, good. Thank you. I Not, not because I'm like trying to cut back or, 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 or re-examine my life or anything like that, but I haven't had a drink or a cigarette in a few days. That would explain something earlier. Which is what? Your general testiness when you first Oh, no, arrived. that was about something else okay, that you did. Enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like my voice sounds different, not having had... Uh, now, I've already had a couple sips of beer, so it's already maybe going yeah, back. Yeah, it's already... You but sound I, like Tom Waits. <laughs> I have felt like my voice feels differently coming out of me, and I was wondering if you or the listener notice any difference right now. Do your uh, preamble. What is my preamble? The preamble to the Constitution. Isn't that, isn't that what you would always do for a sound check? Yes. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. That still sounds you know grating and yeah. off-putting and just boring <laughs> as hell. That got me back into where I want my voice to be. There you so go. So I think maybe I just need to say the preamble whenever I feel like... I was like sitting at my desk yesterday going, hmm, hmm, <laughs> like at work, trying to figure out if my voice sounded different. Uh, anyway, uh, I don't know if it has anything to do with drinking or smoking or not. Or it, well, maybe uh, smoking, I will have, smoking will have uh, an, an effect. It says you. Uh, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. You know what? I'm okay. not a doctor. Um, we can't uh, we can't waste too much time bullshitting around. We've got we already uh, did that last week. We have oh who cares? We have a guest, but also we have sponsors. We sure do. Um, so the first sponsor I want to tell you about is Tweaked Audio, and that's where you go to uh, tweakedaudio.com. Here, here's the here's the skinny on okay. on uh, uh, on Tweaked Audio. You go to tweaked t w e a k e d audio dot com, and that's where you'll find. Uh, professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors. Now, I say styles and colors every week, but what I don't really mention, and I think you usually jump in to let me know, is they're not just variety of styles. They're stylish. Oh, no question about they're it. very yeah. good-looking earbuds. Yeah. Um, professional quality at a low, low price. If you go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension, you get one-third off, and you don't have to pay your shipping. Right, yeah, they'll pay the shipping for you. Yeah. But um, that's not our only sponsor. Yeah, we got two more. Two more. Um, don't think we're rolling in the dough or anything. If you wa- if you want to help us out and you have a thing to promote, please email Tyler and he'll yeah. set it up. TylerBattleshipRetention.com and we'll yeah. work out your sponsorship. Uh, and then you can be just like, this is stuttering. This is stuttering is a documentary that follows Morgan Lott, a college senior, through a final round of speech therapy. Using the footage from therapy sessions and video blogs, This Is Stuttering tells the raw story of working through a speech disability and seeking acceptance. After screening the doc, the reactions were overwhelming. It was felt that This Is Stuttering needs to be shared with the world. So a Kickstarter campaign was created created to raise money for film festival submissions, as well as general merchandise such as DVDs and t-shirts. The Kickstarter ends October 11th, so the deadline is approaching quickly. To find out more, just click on the This Is Stuttering skyscraper ad at BattleshipPretension.com. Well done, David. And I will, I will say that uh, now, <clears throat> I usually do not watch the films that, uh, that pay us to talk on about. On principle. Them. On principle. Uh, you don't want to have an opinion on someone who's giving you money. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I have an opinion on that, <laughs> right. which is uh, I'm in favor of it. Pro. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, uh, but I actually did. I did watch this as stuttering, partially because it was only a half hour, but also because um, just uh, of, 
an ongoing uh, dialogue with uh, with Morgan himself, mm-hmm. um, who uh, it's this sounding is the director, like the director, and the the subject of the film, right? Um, and it's looking like he's going to be a guest on on more than one lesson, which is very exciting. Fantastic. And so I, but so I watched the movie for for those purposes, and I will say it is very very good, and I really I hope they get there. I hope they achieve their Kickstarter goal because it's 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 a it's a film that I think people would benefit from, and uh, and so if anybody can, if you have any money that you can contribute, then head on over to this is stuttering at Kickstarter. That's not how that works, <laughs> but uh, just click on just click on the ad. So, but here's the thing: that's if you're feeling charitable. All right. Okay. If you want something for yourself, here's what you can do. But you get stuff. You get yes. You get rewards for th- through That's Kickstarter. That's how Kickstarter yes. works. Yeah, yeah. You I get, get stuff it. no matter what. That's true. Um, but if you want just a clear cut, here's some money. Now I get a thing, a, uh-huh. the, the definite thing that An I paid for. An exchange of goods. Exactly. Capitalism. Damn right, capitalism. Free market and uh, other such things. All right. <clears throat> I'm leading into our other sponsor, David. I know. Okay. I know. I've come, uh, All right, uh, David. Oh. I've got some questions for you. All right. So just shut up and listen. Done. <laughs> are you tired of the same horror movies year after year you can answer oh absolutely of course are you, you kidding are. me of course you are do you find it frustrating having to wade through hundreds of bad titles just to find something interesting and original i actually do and, and uh, netflix watching and is uh, lousy with them stop doing that david shut up I thought you were telling me to stop biting my nails. <laughs> it's going to affect <laughs> your. It's going to affect your voice, David. You're going to puncture your vocal cords. It's okay. So stop doing that. I'm serious. Stop it right now. This October, watch a movie that's not a remake, sequel, prequel, or ripoff. The Dead Inside tells the story of West and Fi or Fee. I don't know how that's pronounced. Sorry about that. Uh, two lovers who have fallen into a rut, both creatively and romantically. When a wandering spirit possesses Fi. Wes is forced to imprison her until he can find a way to get rid of the terrible entity that has taken over her body. Uh, this haunting horror musical, yes, you heard that right, explores the dark side of inspiration and the desperation to fill the emptiness inside us. Ain't It Cool News says this indie gem should be seen by more people, and Film Threat claims The Dead Inside is a unique film, a horror-dramedy musical sorry, experience that is hard to forget. It is available for rent on iTunes, uh, as well as purchase on iTunes and Amazon, uh, and you can check out all of... and. The direct, writer-director's name is Travis Betts. You can check out all of his work at travisbetts.com. You can also click on the skyscraper ad at battleshippretension.com. Two things. How do you spell Travis Betts? Uh, yes, uh, it's B-E-T-Z. B-E-T-Z? Yes. I would not have guessed that. I would have gone double T-S. Mm, you would have been incorrect. Right. You would have gone to a right. different website. So it's a good thing I asked. Yeah. Thanks, David. That's a good call. I had another question. I don't remember what it was. Oh, okay. And is, it, s- is it the dead inside or is it the dead inside? It's probably the dead inside. I feel like the dead inside. Also, I want if the damn it, it could be yours. It if, could be the dead inside. If the person is listening who is paying us, I would like confirmation of the pronunciation of that name because I feel like it should be like it's fee, like it's short for Fiona. Hmm. True. Yeah. That's what I think. The weird thing is, I've always pronounced it Fiona. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> okay, that's and enough. I'll say this from Travis. I'm sorry, from Travis. I thought, I thought that was enough fucking around. It turns out it's not. Tyler has more fucking around. No, this to isn't do. fucking around. This is a. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, each week uh, in October, we will be talking about a different Travis Betts film. Oh, that's so fun. That's next fun. week, we'll talk about a different one. Yeah, I like that ad on the website. 
Yeah. It's a good looking ad. Good looking ad. All right. Now, we have a guest. We sure do. You introduce him. All right. <clears throat> You've brought this person into our lives. I, mean, I don't mean over and over again. Our lives, but the lives of our listeners. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, listeners who've followed us from, I'm going to say the beginning, they may recall episode 89. That was almost episode. two years in. That was, yeah. Okay. Fair we enough. were probably not awful at that point at doing this. We'd probably we were probably like two episodes out of awful <laughs> to uh, yeah. ba- to barely Do not listen to eighty seven. Yeah, Ooh. barely adequate. Um, although I was talking with some listeners recently who purchased the first forty available for ten dollars. Yeah, and uh, they uh, they said, you know, you guys really. It's like you guys are are better now, but you guys really aren't as bad as you seem to think you are. Wh- to which I said, that's very nice of you. I don't agree. Yeah, I don't agree either. But um, I won't be listening to those. I, I went back and listened to our Man- Madeline Kahn episode because I was very proud that we did that. Yeah. Um, I'll say this. Speaking of voices, our voices have gotten much deeper. Yeah? Yeah. I'm probably less nervous. Probably, yes. We also laugh a lot less. Or more specifically, we, well, might, we have more genuine reasons to laugh as opposed yeah, to just nervousness. That's a problem. I know we've talked about it before. Any podcast that's new seems to take uh, almost a year to get over how funny they find one another. Man, oh man. And, and I say that knowing that we were, part, we were part of this problem. No question about it. Everybody is. Every time, every time, especially two dudes start a podcast, it's half of it is just them cracking each other up and no one else. It's why, I think I've said it here before, when I was on Podcasting 101, one of the, one of the tips that I gave was you're not as funny as you think you are. Huh. Now, um, I, I wish someone would promote that on Twitter. <laughs> your appearance on podcasting one yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get mad at them for it because it still helps us in some way but boy yeah. oh boy they uh apparently they really locked into the marketing thing right. so moving on episode 89 back to business here david um we had on a guest that it can now be told was my boss at the time. Oh! I know. We didn't know that then. We did not know that then. Until just now. Yeah, we specifically uh, uh, did not talk about it because I was not a good employee. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah. But he's also, he's an editor, he's a filmmaker, he just, uh, jack of all trades, I like to think. And a former, uh, former student of uh, Columbia College Chicago, if I'm not mistaken. Correct? Mm-hmm. All right. So, we'll welcome him in now. It's been, is what, 342? I can't do the math on that, but that's a lot of episodes uh-huh. since he since he's been here. That's over two hundred and fifty episodes. It's two hundred and fifty three. Three sounds right. Okay, so two a mere two hundred and fifty three weeks later, Eric Matthews is back. Eric. Hi. Thanks you guys. How you doing? I don't think you were a bad employee. Oh boy, I I I know what I was bad at. Yeah, there's okay. things you don't know that he was getting away with. <laughs> well, and and let it remain that way. Uh, it's good to be back. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for coming back. Absolutely. So, okay. Um, Wait, I want to hear, uh, how was Tyler as an employee? Honestly. <laughs> he's, he's got a job now. He doesn't need your, like, recommendation. Was he's he good. good you, uh, I mean, if I remember correctly, you were uh, like a production assistant slash intern, paid intern, production assistant, yeah. something along those well, lines. Well, and I was, I was hi- w- without going into too much detail, I was hired on as a runner and then I had a lot of other things tacked onto it. Yeah. That was kind of the way we rolled back then. There were like, yeah. You needed a lot of things done. Um, and I thought you, you handled them admirably. Yeah. So as I was working for, uh, at the time, Eric Matthews Productions, uh, which uh, worked on uh, DVD special features and uh, 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 electron- uh, electronic press kit. 
right? EPK. EPK, that kind of thing. Sizzle reel. Uh, other words that I seem to recall. Um, Vam. Is that a word you use? Or is that just something that ha- happens in my end of the... What, what's yours? Vam is the like post-post-production term for like DVD special features and stuff. Oh, okay. It's value-added material. Oh, nice. So That's hmm. new. In I've not heard that. In in possibly my line of work, maybe my former line of work, or maybe both. I'm very mysterious about what I do. Um, VAM is a uh, yeah a term of term of art. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's not the <laughs> word for it. But um, yeah, and so uh, so doing some of the work, and you mentioned some of the research. Uh, one of the projects that I particularly enjoyed researching was uh, special features on Ninja Assassin, right. in which I got to. Uh, is that starring Rain? Yes. Yes, and I watched the film, and it's uh, delightful. Yeah. I enjoyed it quite a bit. And so, how's Rain? He's fine. Okay, he does the job. <laughs> the job in this case being killing plenty of uh, a whole lot of people. I'm guessing. I'm guessing. Assass- Wait, is he assassinating ninjas, or is he a ninja assassin, or both? Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so I really enjoyed, it and I really liked kind of the general out of the box uh, thinking over there of like, hey, let's try this, let's try that, as opposed to just kind of the run of the mill special features. But uh, I know that you guys also you were working on your own projects at the time. Uh, there, you guys had a film called Agile, Mobile, Hostile, which is currently available on, I believe, Hulu Plus. Yep, I believe. Yes, and so um, is that so the yeah. jazz? I'm asking you. It's a. Uh, would you say R and B? Oh, R and B singer. Yeah, Andre Williams is a a rock and roll R and B singer songwriter. Yeah. He's about seventy six, seventy seven now. Yeah, probably about based 70. in Chicago, I believe. Right? Yep, yeah. based in Chicago. Born in Bessemer, Alabama. And uh, so, yeah, you can find Road that. Shake at, a uh, tail feather. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Which I know from the Blues Brothers. There you go. Um, but being born in Bessemer, Alabama, is higher on his on his credits list. <laughs> how many people can say that <laughs> I guess um, right. but uh but yeah and so the um but one of the projects that was in its infancy while uh while i was working uh, with you guys was called killing the messenger it's a documentary about uh well any number of things um regarding journalism uh and specifically the the dangers that journalists face uh, all around the world so um and I've, it's something I, I've always been fascinated by by journalists and, and the idea of uh, censorship, uh, among other things. And so it really got me aware of just doing the research got me aware of um, how, in many cases, horrendous uh, the life of a journalist can be. And uh, and it's made me aware of a number of uh, organizations that I've uh, since given uh, given money to because I believe in them. And uh, we'll talk about those later so that uh, listeners can give them money as well once they have given money to This Is Stuttering. And then they bought The Dead Inside. And then they uh, bought their tweakedaudio.com slash pretension earbuds. So moving on, uh, Killing the Messenger. Uh, go ahead and, and tell us uh, where where it started. Ooh, where it started. Um, like why this subject specifically? I, I think journalism has been something that, uh, that I've always held very dear and, and been fascinated with. And, and, and Trisha, my filmmaking partner and my wife, uh, also, uh, there were various times in our past lives when, uh, we both considered becoming photojournalists or journalists. Um, I tend to steer towards nonfiction in terms of the things that I'm interested in anyway. And I think that uh, at an early age, I realized that a lot of the writing that I liked 
um, and a lot of the photography I liked was done by journalists. So, so that's sort of the, the back back story of just a longstanding interest in journalism. Um, when I think around the time that, uh, that, that Daniel Pearl was killed, um, really started paying attention to the risk that journalists take, um, to, to investigate stories that are, that are integral to our ability to make decisions in how we lead our lives and how we vote and how we think and how we understand the world around us. And so the more we paid attention to that and the more we paid attention to, um, the dangers faced by journalists, the, the censorship faced by journalists around the world, we felt like it was a subject that we really wanted to explore uh, in the documentary space. So um, we started out, as, as you recall, by researching a lot of stories from around the world of, of journalists who are facing all forms of censorship, not necessarily just violent censorship. There are certainly beatings and, and physical threats, but there are also legal threats, um, coercion, intimidation, um, uh, self-censorship. So all of that was kind of the impetus for what we ended up with, with Killing the Messenger, the Deadly Cost of News, which, which you watched the other day. I did, yes. I watched it uh, last night and... Uh, and I thought it was very uh, interesting, very intriguing, especially just having, you know, remember, like remembering, researching a lot of these stories and then watching them, you know, sort of come to life and be like, oh, yeah, OK, I remember that. And uh, and then, of course, several more stories that I had not heard about, because as it turns out, once you start delving into this subject, uh there's a lot of stuff. If you're going to have a film that is a manageable length at all, you're going to have to cut a lot of it out because there is so, so much material, uh, which is a, I would venture to say, a depressing uh, fact. Um, and so, uh, so how did you go about? Well, okay, uh, let's 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 do this. Uh, talking about the basic structure of the film. You zeroed in on three uh, aspects of like the dangers of, of being a journalist, and and we were talking about those a little bit before the show. Uh, what would those? What were those? So, um, I think the first thing and the thing that people are most familiar with when they think of journalists in danger is journalists going into a war zone, war photographers, war correspondents. So combat uh, certainly um, leads to a lot of journalist deaths and a lot of um, danger faced by journalists. So combat being sort of what I would say would be the first pillar of the kind of primary causes of, of threats against journalists. Um, corruption and crime being the other two that we focused on. So we really looked at combat, uh, crime, and corruption as being the kind of sort of, I don't know what you'd say, like the, the umbrella Mm -hmm. of um, sort of the, the, the broad stroke causes or, uh, of, of the problem that the journalists face in, in terms of trying to do their job safely and get stories out. Um, so in doing that, we, we looked at, um, we started looking specifically <coughs> at stories from recent uh, combat and conflict situations, so Iraq, Afghanistan, but also Libya, Syria, 
uh, and then uh, that kind of handled combat. And then for um, crime, we felt like Mexico being our neighbor and being rife with crime, drug crime, um, and certainly some corruption as well, um, really was, uh, there's a huge problem in Mexico. Journalists are very uh, much under threat, um, not only from the cartels, but from the corrupt government. Uh, and, and really criminal activity is, is the stories that, that if they report on these criminal activities, they often uh, don't make it out alive or the story doesn't get published, they self-censor, they disappear. Uh, and then corruption, we looked at Russia because we felt like Russia is sort of the um, sort of a focal point of, of corrupt activity. And it's not to say that there's not corruption in other parts of the world. And certainly there are other countries now that are more dangerous for journalists than Russia or Mexico per se. Um, but as examples of um, journalists who really sort of exemplify the bravery that it takes to get through uh, both physical and legal uh, and other forms of coercion and, and censorship and still get their stories out, those were the sort of the three areas that we felt like needed to be focused on. Well, I'm, <clears throat> I'm really excited to see this because I feel like this is something that uh, uh, this approach, I think, needed to happen uh, because I, uh, there's, there, there's plenty of stories, like, there, there's, there's a number of films that are really good that are addressing, like, maybe a single situation or a single, uh, journalist, and maybe, yeah. you, you know, you get the impression that this person is, uh, you know, heroic, but I think it, it sounds like what you're doing is making a case for journalism as a whole, as a, as a noble pursuit, uh, and a, and a potentially dangerous one, and, and, uh, I think that's something, because that, it's, I, I, I'm really interested in this uh, topic and, and I'm excited to watch the movie because of that, because of, uh, I don't know if you saw, somewhat recently there was a HBO miniseries, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. I can't remember, Michael Mann produced it, I yep. can't remember what it was called now, um, about uh, people, there, I think there's someone in Ciudad Juarez and there's like all these yeah, different places. followed a few different. Uh, and then there's... Um, there was uh, Jonathan Demme's documentary, The Agronomist. I don't know if you saw oh, no, that. I That's that about, I, I guess, journalist is kind of a loose. Is about a radio host in Haiti who was, uh, you know, brazenly taking to the airwaves every day to talk about the corruption right. in the government. Uh, and then there's also a great movie called Burma VJ. I don't know if you've heard of Burma VJ is one of my favorite documentaries. I think yeah, it's, it's a great film um, and certainly a compelling story. And, mm -hmm. and really, some of the most brave uh, video journalists. Yeah. Um, of our of our generation for sure and so i've seen all these and i and I, i'm really glad that there's this thing that's sort of looping this together putting it under one sort of uh umbrella and you know it's in uh in the dvd special features of all the president's men uh they it's a really that's a that's a well put together uh dvd set uh, to go back to episode uh, 89 in which we talked about like you know the the movie existing on its own but then all the supplemental material kind of I, I mean truly being like a supplement not merely like these disposable extras like there are, there are some movies that it's just like ah, I'm I'm almost as interested in the supplemental material as the film itself and uh not necessarily the case with all the president's men, but they really delve into what a journalist is and that kind of thing. And one of the points that they make uh, regarding the nobility of journalists is that Spider-Man, Superman, 
Uh, and I, I think they said one or two others, but like those two, like Spider-Man, what does he do when he's not Spider-Man? He works for the Daily Bugle, admittedly as a photographer, but as a photojournalist. Clark Kent works at the Daily Planet, I believe, mm-hmm. and uh, and he's a journalist. And they say, well, and of course the reason they do this is because the nature of the job allows them to be gone for long periods of time and and have an excuse. It's like, oh, I was on assignment or something like that. Um, when in fact they're actually doing this other thing. And so it's a good cover, but then the implied thing there is, yeah, but why is it such a good cover? Because journalists are always working. They're always doing something. They're always working towards something. And so even if Clark Kent decided, I'm done with this Superman thing, he'd still probably do some pretty good work uh, <laughs> on the Daily Planet. Yeah. And uh, and I don't know if anybody could do any good work under that J. Jonah Jameson, but I'm sure Peter Parker would do his best. But, um, but yeah, and so that's – and there have been a lot of – there have been uh, a fair number of, of films that really try to emphasize the, the, in- the inherent nobility of devoting your life to telling – this may sound a little strange – telling other people's stories, like taking the focus not on you, but merely you are the messenger, you know. And so, and the idea that that is threatening to people is something that fascinates me. And while I knew about, I knew about Russia a lot. That's a lot of the research that I did for you. Um, and of course, the you know Middle East. A lot of people know about that. But the thing that really struck me in your film was the Mexico stuff, because that's the the big the, the word that gets thrown around a lot in in your film is the word impunity. Hmm. The idea that, you know, crime lords or, you know, terrorists or whatever, that they just attack uh, journalists with pretty much impu- total impunity. And the the security camera footage, spoilers, David, security <laughs> camera footage. And, and listeners. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but uh, I forgot. Uh, listeners, I forgot you were here. Um, the security camera footage of a drug cartel going through uh, basically just driving everybody in this news office out of the building and then torching it firebombing it El Bentono they've been firebombed twice they've been attacked by bazookas Um, yeah Mexico faces a very um, almost un-understandable level of their journalists face a a level of threat that, that really is kind of beyond the pale um, you know, to think that that literally the the building in which you work could be assaulted by a, a, a group of armed men who may be dressed as the local police, um, which isn't the case in the El Buentono story, but uh, it, it, it's it's a wild and and crazy country for people to be trying to write the news. And, and literally to the point where the newspapers, the, the editors were writing stories, publishing on the front page of the newspapers, what do you want us to write? What do you want us to talk about? Because we can't keep losing people was the, was the you know, the sort of the unsaid part of that headline. Yeah. Like what, to the cartels, what, what can we report? Well, uh, yeah. As huh. someone who hasn't seen the film, I mean, um, do you do you talk to p- 
people who work for uh, is it El Guantana? We don't talk to anybody specifically from El Guantano. But, but you um, talk to Mexican journalists. But certainly a number of Mexican journalists. And young ones? It's a variety. Uh, I mean, I'm just wondering if someone who maybe has grown up in this culture of this happening, what, what inspires them to well, go into journalism? Someone, someone who's, who's become uh, a friend uh, and is in the film, Luis uh, Mejera, who now lives in exile in Canada. Um, journalism is his life. Like, like his, his calling, he felt, was to, for all those reasons that I said in the beginning, you know, to the understanding that a cornerstone of the democratic process is for people to have information so that they can make an informed decision. There's a reason that we attempt to have a free press in this country and set that example. And I think he really, I don't want to speak for Luis, but I think he really um, believes that, believed that, and did his work as a, as essentially as a crime beat reporter um, in, in, in his case in, in, uh, in Juarez, in Ciudad Juarez, which at, at the time was the most dangerous uh, city in, in Mexico. And he was threatened. He was told that he was on a hit list. His wife was, uh, was followed and threatened, as he explains in the film. And he pulled his family out and he moved, mm-hmm. he moved to Canada. And he, fortunately, he was able to get out. But um, he can't go back. Uh, and I was with him recently. I was actually with him on World Press Freedom Day. Uh, he's now living in Toronto uh, earlier this year. And, you know, he was lamenting that, that his, his children will not be able to visit their grandparents because um, the grandparents aren't going to come mm-hmm. to Canada and they can't, they cannot return. Um, and he I mean, really that, misses um, doing the work. I guess, is he fatalistic about the idea that things might change in his lifetime enough for his, uh, his kids to visit their grandparents? No, I think he's pretty realistic about it. I, I don't no. think that, I don't think he really sees that things are going to change, but I think he's very, um, he works hard to, he still works in journalism. He he works uh, uh, actually with um, he's a research fellow um, now in a journalism school um, in Toronto. The name of which is escaping me. Um, and I think he supports his colleagues who are still back there, still still uh, you know putting fighting fighting the good fight by putting pen to paper. Um, Do you find in in interviewing the journalists is is there more of uh I guess, sorry, I'm formulating this now because I just thought of it. Um, more uh, of a feeling that they're trying to change something or more of a feeling that, of uh, 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 maybe just a, uh, a dedication to duty no matter what happens? Well, I was, look, I was just trying to look up the numbers and I, I can't find them that quickly. But um, essentially, no journalist's murder in Mexico has even been investigated. It's not that they haven't been solved. It's that they're not even investigated. So I think the bravery of saying this is important work, we're going to continue to do this for our community, for our country. Um, We're going to continue to investigate stories, expose crimes, expose corruption um, seek the truth is the reason that they go on. 
the reason that they continue. And these are men and women. And uh, there are younger generations that are coming up that are willing to take this on, even though um, they're under threat. And, you know, earlier this year, uh, a young photographer who is basically paparazzi was killed because he took a picture of the wrong person in a nightclub. Um, so it's not just affecting the guy that's on the crime beat or mm-hmm. the guy that's investigating uh, government corruption um, or a newspaper like uh, the, I, the un- somewhat ironically named uh, Zeta magazine in, in um, Tijuana, which we also talk about in the film, um, who specifically goes after and has st- steadfastly gone after corruption, cartel relationships with government officials um, corruption in the military, corruption in the police. This has been their focus for almost 20 years. And they won't stop. They're not going to stop. Do they have and, bylines? Um, it's interesting. Some, some newspapers have and, – and, and Zeta is one of, one of the magazines. Zeta is a weekly magazine. It's, it's not a, a daily <laughs> paper. But um, one of the ways that, they've, that they protect themselves, and this is true in other countries as well – is that there is no byline. The The story is written by the paper. Right. So there's a, it, it's sort of a collective. But obviously, as you see in the footage of El Buentono, all that potentially leads to is let's just blow up the whole paper. Yeah. So um, the fact I, that they sorry, keep Sorry, I want going, to focus on like, like, do they have offices? Do people work yeah. out of their homes? Yeah. They yeah, no, have they offices. have offices. We've been to their offices. Um, and the papers, or the... The, the magazine is printed in Mexico? It's, it's actually printed in San Diego and brought back across. Does, I imagine that helps. Yeah, I think to a degree. I think it allows them um, uh, control over the, pr- over the actual printing press, which mm-hmm. is important. Um, it does help to a degree. But their office is like right. you can find it. It's not like it's hidden somewhere. There's one security guard in front. You know, It's a little bit difficult to get through the front door, and there's certainly – uh, defenses in place, um, bulletproof glass and things of that nature. But, but I mean, you know, Adela Navarro, who's the, the, um, the managing editor of that paper. I mean, she's an outspoken, she's had death threats put on her and she will not stop. She will not shut up. She will not back down and she will put her face out there and her name out there and say what she wants to say. And does it, does it make a difference I mean, I hate to I hate to be uh, ask so cynical a question, but you know, I mean, if you're if you're reporting about uh, you know the local drug cartel or something like that, and you're you're reporting things that the police obviously aren't that interested in investigating for whatever mm-hmm. reason, mm-hmm. Um, you're reporting, you know, it could change public opinion, and suddenly there's a lot of pressure being put on the police. Uh, to investigate things. I assume that's what the the goal here is. Uh, But at the same time, the police, they do have the option of saying, I don't care about public pressure. I'm not going to investigate this. And, you know, so, you know, there are a number of of journalists in the film who have opted out of the profession. And I mean, yep. you just see the sadness in their eyes when they talk about well, having done one of them. Yeah. yeah. And you know, a guy who, and, and when, and some of them have been uh, attacked and, and whatever. And 
And so that when asked, like, well, is it worth it? You know, some of them are, to their credit, very honest. And one guy says, wh- who, ha- who was beaten up and had his finger cut off, one guy says, uh, I would have rather, I would rather have my finger back, to be honest with yeah. you. Like, I would Holy really. Yeah. yeah. And just, uh, and I appreciate his, his honesty in saying that because it would have been easy in that moment to say, like, it was absolutely worth it, damn it. But, you know, if you're if you if you have friends that are dying, if you're getting, you know, there's this other there's another guy who gets his head beaten in and it looks horrendous and it's just and he can't do his job. He can't really do much of anything anymore. You know, now he's passed away. Oh, OK. And, uh, but but only recently and, and from complications from that beating. Yeah. This is a, a Russian journalist, Mikhail Beketov and uh, and Oleg Kashin, who is also beaten in Russia. Um I don't think that they they would stop. Oleg Kashin hasn't stopped mm-hmm. practicing journalism. Um, he might be more cautious and he might be a, a, a little bit more um, selective. Yeah. But I think that if journalists stopped working in places like that, places like Mexico, like Russia, and I would add now, like the Philippines, India happens to be one of the more dangerous places for journalists mm. at the moment. Um, mm. That accountability of government, of, uh, of a civil process, of a civil society goes away. Mm-hmm. So regardless of whether the police want to do those investigations or want to be investigated. Right. Um, civil so- society needs a free press in order to operate. Right. And if that press isn't going to be allowed to be free, I think that's what compels these brave men and women to say, if we're not free, we still need to be oppressed and we still need to do our job and we still need to investigate and report and hold, try to hold accountable um, these elements of our community that are potentially threatening uh, the livelihood or the lives or, or, or the civil order of their community or their city or their country. Do you interview in the in the film um, journalists from places like here or other places where it's more, I guess, less physically dangerous to practice journalism? Well, we were talking about this before the show. I mean, we, we specifically chose not to focus on the United States. Uh, ironically, since we finished editing the film in the in the the year or so, ten months or so since since we've completed the film. And it started its its life as a film that you can now watch. Um, things have changed pretty radically here in the states, and certainly there were stories in the United States um, <coughs> that were that we researched and that were that were compelling to us for a variety of reasons. We we felt that our film needed to focus on this more global issue and mm-hmm. talk about these things in other countries, um, and hopefully let people connect those dots to see that. Um, you know, if you allow the protections that are um, afforded by, or at least we perceive to be afforded by American journalists, to slip, 
this example of Russia or Mexico is, is, is what could happen. Um, what we've seen in the past year is uh, a pretty volatile situation for particular journalists here in the United States. Um, Baird Brown has been in prison for uh, well over 300 days at this point. Um, he's up on charges that could see him facing 105 years in prison for reporting on a story um, in which he linked to leaked information. Um, we see mainstream journalists like uh, uh, James Risen and James Rosen and the Associated Press being targeted by um, the courts to um, to investigate who their sources are and who they're getting these stories from. Obviously, things like the Manning trial. And mm-hmm. Now with Snowden, there's a lot of attention on this notion of, of leaking. And so journalists who report those kind of stories and who get their information from sources that are unpopular with the people who are sort of at the <coughs> receiving end or the focused end of, of, those, of those investigations um, find themselves at risk, uh, legal risk, potentially. Um, they might be, someone might come tell their editor that they shouldn't work anymore. They shouldn't be allowed to work for that particular publication. Um, there's various levels of coercion. So certainly here in America, we're looking at a situation now where um, the stakes have been raised. Um, and I think journalists need to, I think we as an audience actually need to take some responsibility for how we how we absorb the news and how we how we receive the news um, and understand what is at stake for these these people who are reporting it to us and you know it's it's interesting to to bring in a slight uh, political uh, element as as listeners know i skew uh, to the right a little bit and one thing that has always bothered me uh regardless of what i may is your conscience what was that your conscience huh oh i'm sorry yeah you're right i i forgot how racist i was um and then i remembered and that's when i became a conservative uh no it's um what bothered me was the general uh the general way that that republicans characterized the press uh, and now the idea of there being like, Oh, a liberal bias and, and I'll, and I, I've, I've actually read a number of, uh, articles that say that it's like, well, sometimes there is a bias, but it tends to be almost issue by issue, not necessarily an overall thing. Um, I, I read this, I read like a, a very in-depth, uh, paper that somebody did, uh, in college and this was a person who had no real political affiliations, but they were basically looking at the way abortion is reported on. And it was very interesting. Um, but the thing that gets me is just that. So it's like, okay, bias, that's some, that's certainly something to be fought against one way or another, but a lot of my, you know, fellow conservatives or, or whatever, they take it one step further and they, and they start to kind of trash the profession in general and act as though it's not really that important uh, because it's all it's just all these people that are 
you know, they're just a mouthpiece for the Democrats and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, okay, for argument's sake, let's say that's true. That's still, it's like, okay, then that's what needs to be changed. Not the actual profession itself. Like it's still a tremendously valuable profession. And yes, yes, I know that uh, journalists brought down our, our beloved Richard Nixon, but come on. (laughs) Um, And so it's, uh, so it is something that I think, so that's, so that's from a political standpoint. It's always bothered me. Uh, but then another thing that, Eric, you and I were talking about before we started recording is now that we're getting into the into the world of – I say it as though it's a new thing. It's been around for a while. But the idea of internet, uh, internet journalism, online mm-hmm. journalism, that brings up a whole mess of issues from, from all sides on this – in this yeah. case. Um, and so uh, – Perhaps you can talk a little bit about that because, as we were talking about before, I remembered a video here, a video there, and you're just like, oh, yes, it's this. And you know, I was like, <laughs> ah, yes, right. This is your whole life right yeah. now. <laughs> so, um, Well, there's, there's – uh, for a number of years, for a, a while, various states have had what are called shield laws, um, which are usually perceived to be laws that are in place to protect – a journalist. This has to do um, with Nick Fury. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, there aren't periods between the letters in this Strategic kind of Homeland shield law. Yeah. Logistics division. You um, actually memorized that whole thing? <laughs> I did. Impressive. I did for my other podcast. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> so, um, right. so the shield laws are state by state and they, they, they vary, um, significantly. Um, and and for a long time, uh, there's been a desire to have a federal shield law. Now, first, a little bit about shield laws. Um, my opinion and, and the opinion of, of other people who I respect who work much more closely in the f- journalist field, uh, the shield law is really there to protect the sources, right? And this kind of goes back to, I mean, something I would say about the leaking thing that I find very interesting is that we target specific leakers – Yet every night on the news, you will hear the presenter say that the information in a particular story came from an unnamed Pentagon source mm-hmm. or an unnamed city official or whatever. So how is that leak any different than these sort of big picture leaks that we're so focused on? Um, and in a way, maybe it's a little tangential, but I think in a way that's similar to the situation that's faced on the other side of of the journalist. And so the shield law really is to enable someone who feels like they see something being done that is wrong, that is corrupt, that is somehow um, potentially damaging to their community, to their coworkers, to the company they work for, the city they live in, and they want to anonymously express that information to a reporter so that that reporter, that journalist can, can investigate the story, can take the time to actually verify the information, talk to a number of sources and properly report the story. Um, so the shield law allows that interaction between source and journalist without the source feeling that they might be prosecuted for telling the truth, essentially, to a reporter. Um, So now we have the uh, free flow, what's called the Free Flow of Information Act. 
I can't remember exactly what the Dewey Decimal System number of that is in terms of things. But that's been moving through Congress and uh, will eventually, when and if our government ever turns itself back on, will make its way through uh, to the Senate. And that is a federal shield law. And that's what you were referring to earlier. You had seen uh, Dianne Feinstein uh, speaking and a number of other uh, congressmen speaking about who is a journalist? Uh, is a blogger a journalist? And so um, they've put a lot of wording into the current version of this act uh, to try to define that. And I think that's a very dangerous thing to define, especially for a court or, or a system of government to define who or what a journalist is. Um, and so what what I feel is much more important, and I think a lot of the people that uh, that I work with in places like the um, the Freedom of the Press Foundation and the International News Safety Institute and Committee to Protect Journalists, and uh, we're all kind of of a mind that um, acts of journalism are what should be protected. Uh, and in this day and age, you, we have, we're here now because you can have a podcast. You have mm-hmm. the technology available to you mm-hmm. to do this. Uh, anybody can potentially commit an act of journalism. My Twitter feed could be a, a journalistic act. Could be. <laughs> totally. <laughs> well, or, or uh, the example, and I don't know how good it is, but the example that, that I gave earlier is you know, there was a photograph of one of the gunmen when the the siege of Mumbai happened a few years ago. Now, that photograph was just taken by a person who was brave enough while, while hiding in a train station to take out their phone and take a picture of that person with a gun who turned out to be one of the terrorists who laid siege to the city of Mumbai. And that photograph ran on the front page of almost every newspaper in the country, uh, in the world. Now... That photograph is an act of journalism. That person who took it did not go to photo classes, did not go to journalism school, but they committed an act of journalism. And that's no different than, um, I would say, in a, in a much more nuanced example, uh, there's, a, there's someone who I consider a journalist, Alexa O'Brien, who is pretty much the key source of news of reporting on the Chelsea Manning trial at the time, Bradley Manning trial. Um, Alexa is a blogger, a a um, self-defined journalist who did some of the most deep, detailed, well-researched, vetted investigative journalism that I've seen on any story about that story, about that case. Um, She doesn't work for a major news organization. Uh, She just took it upon herself, much as I took it upon myself to make this film. And you guys took it upon yourself to host this podcast. Um, but she committed this great act of journalism. She would not just like we do every week. Exactly. Here. <laughs> no question about it. She would not necessarily be protected under this new shield law because the shield law spends most of its time trying to define whether she is or isn't a journalist and doesn't look at 
the actual work that she did and decide whether it's an act of journalism. So I think in a nutshell, that's kind of the key to um, how we can what how laws could be enacted that could actually protect uh, journalists is to protect what they're doing, to protect the act of journalism so that uh, the sources feel that they can safely reveal information if they work in a company and it's corrupt. I and mean, we made a great movie about whistleblowers. You know, in some instances, we look at whistleblowers as heroes. Ooh, they exposed the cancer risk of cigarette smoking. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, on the other hand, we look at some whistleblowers and we say, ooh, he's a traitor because he exposed this thing that actually is really detrimental to our way of life. But we don't like that. So... Why should the person who's researching, investigating, reporting that story be judged by that question of is or isn't it? Are they or right. aren't they a journalist? They're committing an act of journalism. They're, someone said something. They're now trying to find out, is it true? That's it. Well, yeah, it's fair. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I wanted to, before we left the topic of whistleblowers, I wanted to address something you said a while back about um, unnamed Pentagon sources or unnamed White House aide or whatever. I have always assumed that most of the time that's a controlled leak. Sure. When you get that kind of that kind of moniker on the it source. very well might be. That's yeah. intentional. It might be. But it also might be... Um, Someone who wants that information out for their own political gain or for whatever their agenda might be, they still are able to reveal that information with anonymity because they feel like they're safe in doing that. There's a First Amendment and there's there's a Fourth Amendment and there are things that we put in place that 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 constitutionally that say that the press is somewhat sacred and you should be able to go and say, Hey, by the way, off the record, you know, here's what I know. And then the way that gets reported is because it's off the record, an anonymous source has told us Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. Now, if they say on the record, then they say, you know, Jim Jones told me da, 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 da. And I think that's an important thing, and it's actually, if I, if I can blather on for a little bit here, one of the journalists in our film, Omar Fakiki, who is, uh, started out as just a kid, an upper-middle-class kid living in Iraq, knows the invasion is coming, is excited about it, wants to do something, wants to get involved, and ends up becoming essentially a fixer for uh, American news media. Um, he learns through the journalist that he works with how to become a journalist. He now works in Washington as a journalist for a major newspaper. Uh, and I asked him, this is someone who uh, basically had to leave Baghdad, was under threat, was having <coughs> notes taped on his door, was being told, like, we know who your mother is. We know where your father works. Um, you're working for the enemy. And uh, so he decided to get out uh, and to do his work here instead of his work in Baghdad. Um, and I asked him, you know, what what are, what is something that that could be done? What are things that could be done to uh, to protect 
you or, or, or your fellow journalists. And the first thing he said was, anyone who comes into it as someone who has the, like that sort of romantic notion of like, I'm, like he did, like I'm going to become a journalist, the best thing that could be done to protect them is for them to understand all the kind of, I guess you'd say, I mean, I'm paraphrasing him now, but like the rules of the game, like what is on the record, what's off the record, what's background, because if you understand how all that works, the way you report is going to be smarter, more methodical, and therefore safer, rather than just like, wow, this guy told me this, and I'm going to go tell everybody that this guy told me this, and like, oh, shit, now someone wants to kill me. Mm-hmm. Oh, can I swear? I just swear. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so I think that's very interesting. Like, I think that, that the, the notion of, you know, anybody can self-declare as a journalist, but there's a, there's a protection in the things that journalism school teaches you or that the hard knocks of working on the job or working under more experienced journalists teaches you, which is what's the difference between background and what's uh, on the record, off the record, so that when a source does come to you, so when someone is leaking information or, or imparting information that may or may not get that person or someone else in trouble – you have an obligation and a responsibility as the person committing the act of journalism <coughs> to know how to deal with that information. You know, everything that, uh, that is being um, parsed from these sort of major leaks that we're aware of, like WikiLeaks and Snowden, you know, it's not like that just got – well, I guess in the WikiLeaks case, a lot of it did just get dumped all over the internet. But like in the Snowden case, like that stuff is going to whole offices of journalists who are reading it, scrubbing through it, making sure names are redacted, investigating it. It takes some time to really tell a story, you know. And I think that there's sort of a romantic notion of like – Oh, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get this information and I'm just going to tell the world. So I thought it was really compelling that this guy who basically sort of stumbled into journalism felt like, you know, I thought he was going to say like, well, you know, they should go to a risk management class and they should learn how to function in a combat zone. And all. But the first thing he said is they should learn the difference between background on the record and off the record. And that kind of sums it up. You know, I think it's, it's, and that sums it up for us as an audience. Like, how do we respond to the news that we read? Do we just see the lead, the, the first line and the link in a tweet and go, oh, and retweet it? Or do we actually open up that link and read it and say, huh, that's not really what I thought they were talking <laughs> about. I don't agree with that. I'm not going to re- – or I'm going to retweet it, but I'm going to say – I don't agree with this, or I might find another story. We don't take that time because we want it right away. I do. We we need to uh, start uh, <clears throat> finishing up, but uh, I did want to get back into. And that's my job. Oh, to to wrap us up. To, well, to, to keep us on track, that's traditionally my job. Yeah. Did I just and how, off track? And I'm how sorry. well does no, no, that no, no, ever no. work out? Oh, better than you think. I have my Spengali like ways that you're not even aware of. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, <laughs> But uh, 
but yeah, I wanted to. Uh, no, that was not off track at all. I wanted to. Oh yeah, that was great. I wanted to uh, delve into this this stuff, um, but I also want to focus on the fact that like you did make a film that people can see. Yeah. Um, but I also want to talk about so um, so you interviewed a number of journalists, mm-hmm. many of whom you know are former journalists or have been physically threatened. Uh, did you run across anybody who was reluctant to talk to you? Um, because they were worried that, you know, they might say too much or, you know, might, they might get in trouble or something. Um, I think there were definitely layers of, we worked through a certain vetting process, particularly with some of the Russian journalists, um, before they would talk to us. Mm-hmm. Um, Mikhail Beketov in particular, who can't speak and who had to speak through an interpreter. Right. Um, you know, one of the reasons that uh, we were able to get him on camera was because um, people that we were working with through, particularly through CPJ, vetted us to his people. Um, and we made the choice, actually, to not go to Russia ourselves and draw undue attention to the interviews that we wanted to do and the questions we wanted to ask. We can't speak Russian. Mm-hmm. Um, so the romanticism of us being there was really kind of folly. And it would have potentially um, put more of a, of a spotlight on those journalists that they may not have otherwise wanted. So we were able to work with a Russian crew that we knew that could go and do those interviews in a more discreet way. Um, and I think because of that, Beketov was willing to talk to our cameras and, and essentially to talk to us. I mean, we did right. it by proxy, but they were our questions and we were present through Skype and there was a way that we did it. Yeah. Um, but it made it safer for him. So I think there was with him, there was a little bit of, of um, concern. Um, do you have more? No, go ahead. I, I'm, I'm, I'm tending towards wrapping up here. Okay. I want to bring back to the fact that this is a movie podcast, and I want to ask ask a couple of movie-related questions. One, after interviewing all these journalists who are out there risking your lives, do you look at someone whose job it is to report on like casting news for the Hunger Games sequels and just <laughs> scoff at them now? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all, because I think that there's there's a place for all of it, you know, and not, not everybody is... is um, going to go into a war zone or, or, or happens to live in a war zone and end up saying, wow, like I could actually, I mean, that was Omar's thing. I think he just, he realized like, here's an opportunity that I can do something for my country and for my countrymen, you know, is, is to, to, to report on what's going on. Because if he didn't do it as the, um, from that Iraqi perspective, it was only going to be a Western perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and also there are probably people in Iraq who care who's getting cast in the Hunger Games sequels as well. Well, exactly. And that's just it. I think that the, that, that the news is a widespread thing. Like what 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 is reported doesn't necessarily have to be something dangerous or something nefarious um, to for it to be journalism. Well, I'm glad you gave a serious answer to my jokey question. <laughs> my, my my real uh, question to, to sort of end on is we mentioned Burma, Burma VJ. Mm. What are some other... Uh, movies, uh, uh, even movies, and necessarily not necessarily about this that you look to for inspiration. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good. Well, you kind of caught me there. Um, 
you know, I'm I'm more inclined to watch a documentary than a narrative film. I'm more inclined to pick up a nonfiction book than a novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just sort of what intrigues me and inspires me and, and that I find interesting. So I think there's this sort of this whole body of um, – and in, in a way, I would say it's literature that's inspired me more than any one particular film or or or, or a few films. Um, it's writings of, of people mm-hmm. uh, like everyone from Hunter S. Thompson to Eduardo Galeano to um, – um, even Jack London, you know, that, that like throughout my life, I realize now from working on this project, like it's, I've always been kind of drawn to, uh, stories that were written by someone who at some point, whether it was for that particular story or not, was working from an investigative journalistic mm. perspective. And I think that's why, that's why Trish and I make documentaries because that's what we're interested in. Did you see that awful Ernest Hemingway movie on HBO where Clive Owen played? Ernest no, Hemingway? I it's kind like of, two hours I and 40 minutes. I didn't was, really want to see that. Didn't that win a bunch of Emmys? Though? Yeah. Cause it's HBO. It's, it was really bad though. Huh? Yeah. Um, I couldn't go there. I mean, there's been so many, you know, great films, both fiction and, uh, you know, fictionalized accounts of, of, of real events and, and documentaries that, and I think there will continue to be, there's a number of things coming out. I'm really excited to see what, uh, Laura Poitras's next film is. And I think some of the stuff, the, the short piece that, that she has on whistleblowers on, uh, the, the New York times op-ed video, Mm -hmm. uh, selection is, is compelling enough to say, I definitely would want to watch the feature length version of it. Are you looking forward to the fifth estate? uh... I'm curious about the fifth estate. You know, I saw the, um, now I'm black. What was the documentary about? Um, uh, just came out this we, year. Uh, we something. We steal secrets. That's it. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say. Yeah, you know, I liked we steal secrets because it. It, because he kind of, um, I think he delved into it a little. You know, Julian's a, a complicated figure. He's, he's a, it's a complicated story, and he's a complicated mm-hmm. character, and I think he makes himself <laughs> complicated on purpose. And I think the hype that whether he's doing it intentionally or not that he's generating by being negative about this film makes it kind of intriguing. I'll go see it. I mean, it's an interesting (laughs) story and I like stories like that. So, you know, I like the East because do I really think that activists live in haunted houses in the woods and prance around in masks? I mean, I know some of those people, they don't live that way at all, but I mean, if you told the story the way that it really happened, be kind of boring. And you know, what's interesting about Julian is that that's kind of like, seems to me at least like that's how he lives his life like he realizes that the, the sort of the normal version is boring so he creates this insane atmosphere that you could make a crazy movie about it might be really good that actor's an interesting actor yeah so yeah who hasn't uh, i mean i like him in in sherlock and stuff but i feel like by and large he hasn't been as hollywood has sort of embraced him uh, Benedict Cumberbatch we're talking about uh, as Hollywood has embraced him there's like you want to play the, play the villain in a Star Trek movie and though he does a good job it's just like we all know he can do more than this right yeah. there's uh, I feel like we're I'm doing nothing but talking about HBO but there was a miniseries HBO BBC co-production miniseries called Parade's End that he was in oh yes really fantastic hmm. um, there is actually a movie that uh, a documentary called Reporter have you uh, have you seen that it was um very, uh, very independent. I don't know if any if it got any kind of uh, real distribution. Um, uh, friend of the show, Jason Eakin, went to a uh, a documentary film festival and saw it there. 
and then bought uh, the DVD and then we watched it as part of our uh, weekly movie night. And it's basically this guy going in and reporting on a, uh, a warlord in Africa. And, and it basically is just a, a long – it's basically a film of the story he's reporting but also you get some of his attitude about it huh. and how he – has to kind of often hold himself at a distance. Like there's a, uh, a part where I think it's called reporter. I'm almost positive um, where he's there with some assistants uh, and there's this woman that is dying and she's, and one of his assistants, like it, it seems like something out of a Hollywood movie, but this one of his assistants like, well, look, we're going in, we're going to this place anyway. Let's take her with us to take her to a, you know, the hospital. And he's like, we have somewhere we need to be. We have a story we need to report. And yes, I feel terrible for this woman. There are dozens more like her in this exact village. We can't do it for everyone. So let's go. And it's, it's a very strange, it's a very strange, uh, scene, uh, in the film. And, uh, and that's the thing is, you know, to take her to the hospital would be to lose time on, Right. You know, because also they couldn't really be where they were uh, at sundown. And so that was the other thing. And so it was just and like I said, it sounds very dramatic. It sounds like something out of a particularly uh, ham fisted uh, narrative film. But the film itself is fascinating. And uh, if people have the opportunity to see it, I, I, I'm po- I'm fairly positive it's called Reporter. And it's absolutely worth seeing. It came out hmm. in the last uh, last few years. Hmm. Um, we'll check it out. So uh, a couple of questions. So. As we've been talking, and these are wrap-up questions. Uh, as we've been talking <laughs> about this, we've been talking about the, the you know your film specifically, but also what your film is about. And so I'll ask first uh, if somebody is interested in you know the the dangers that the journalists face and stuff like that. What what can people do? You know, what can the random podcast listener do? And by the way, uh, just historically, they're hard to motivate. So, <laughs> uh, so like, what what can they do to do their part in making it a safer world for journalists? Huh. Um, I think, like, a, like a lot of things connected to to the internet, which is how most people get the news these days. I think it's. It's it's twofold. It's being responsible for how you absorb the news, like I was saying before. Um, you know, a reporter really shouldn't be reporting something unless they've gone to at least three sources. Um, if you tell me something, you know, I, I shouldn't be posting that just because you said you saw someone get shot, that they've been shot. I need to go find two or three other people, I should be checking in at the hospital. Like, that's good reporting, right? So as a news reader, we should kind of be practicing a similar thing. We should be paying respect to the reporting by, and and to the fact that sometimes it's not good reporting by actually taking the time, which isn't that hard. It's two or three mouse clicks away to see if someone else is reporting the same story, if the information's lining up. So I think being responsible news readers or or a news audience is a part of it. I think being aware that there's a difference between 
uh, investigative reporting and acts of journalism, regardless of whether it's mainstream media reporting it or someone who's decided to just um, tell a particular story and, and research it well, uh, um, that there's a difference between that and just sort of the presentation of information or opinion. I think so much of what gets called news these days is just really it's opinion. It's it's sportscasting. It's two people kind of shouting at each other about their opinion about something. And none of that might necessarily be actually rooted in any kind of actual attempt to investigate the topic that they're talking about. So I think just being responsible news watchers or listeners or readers is a big part of it. But I also think recognizing that there is really a risk that uh, anybody who commits an act of journalism that's really um, delving into a compelling story or delving into a story that might have some tinge of corruption or crime or or um, or or in some way uh, having that level of impact on on a civil society on our lives um, that we need to respect what those people are doing and care about what kind of laws are being enacted to protect them or not enacted to protect them and what that all means and and not just sort of flippantly um, disagreeing with them because of the uh, the way they look or 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 the way that they're saying it there might be actually something to it um, that's worth paying a little bit more attention to uh, and you know and then I think if you're really interested you you become involved as you've said you have. Uh, in in following um, things, organizations like the Committee to Protect Journalists, cpj.org. Uh, there's also the uh, uh, Reporters Without Borders, which is mm-hmm. similar to Doctors Without Borders. It's, except uh, it rhymes. Except it rhymes, yeah. Uh, but in French, it's uh, Reporters Sans Frontières, uh, oh. rsf.org. I like that. Um, there's International News Safety Institute. Um, there's a number of things uh, that are out there that are that are actively working to ensure the safety of journalists, and I think there there are things that are worth supporting. Yeah, and uh, and I have, as I said, I've I've given not as much as I would have liked, but I've given some money to the committee to protect journalists, and they're very they're very interactive with people that have given the money. They yep. every year they send me an incredibly thick book of <laughs> like what has been happening in the world of journalism in the last year. Yeah. And, uh, and it's really interesting. And so, um, so yeah, that's, that's the, the one that I recommend. And I remember reporters without borders. I remember hearing about that as well. Um, and then, uh, where can people find more information about killing the messenger? What's the, what's the future of this film? So the future of the film is, uh, uh, we have distribution, um, we recently uh, had our first broadcast in Denmark. So if you speak Danish, um, you can go to dr.dk and find a version of our film in Danish. Um, but it, 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 joking aside, it, it will be in various broadcast outlets. We will be doing screenings. But most importantly, it will be available on demand online at both uh, sidewaysfilms.com and also at ktmproject.net. You'll be able to rent it, buy it, watch it, download it. And eventually what we're going to be doing is actually putting up not just the film but extras. Um, we're, we're exploring a couple of things where we'll be able to kind of continue to 
add those uh, what did you call them vams value added <laughs> value added yeah. material yeah. well well there'll be there'll be there'll be value added material that'll that'll kind of be ongoing um, and you know it's a project it's not just a film I think the film is a discussion point so I'd like people to see the film certainly and download the film and watch the film um, hopefully pay for it and not just rip it off um, and uh, but also just the continued discussion you know the we keep the blog going we we have uh, we tweet. Um, we put stuff up on Facebook. We contribute to Huffington Post to write specifically about this issue and, and these topics. Um, and I think all of that becomes sort of part of what the film is and what its life is. So you said Sideways Film. Sidewaysfilm.com. And then KTMproject.net. Correct. KTMproject.net is the, the our site, the film site, and Sideways is our distributor and the film will be available on demand on both of those sites. And the other question I wanted to ask you, I just asked it a second ago, but uh, we had to edit it out. Um, Tyler asked you, what's the future of the film? You said the future of the film is, is that a byproduct of being a documentarian answering in the form of a statement? Uh, I th- Yeah, it might be just sort of a subconscious, unconscious, <laughs> automatic reaction. Because yeah. you certainly would prefer that your interview subjects... I always ask them to try to answer in complete sentences or incorporate the question, yes. Uh And usually they don't. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, uh, that's good advice for anyone out there if they're ever being interviewed. Um, You you can find us at battleshippretension.com. That's where you can find links to this podcast and other podcasts in the BP fleet as well as all all sorts of – Reviews, both theatrical and home video reviews. You can email us, David at BattleshipPretension.com or Tyler at BattleshipPretension.com. That's where you send your list of the, your uh, top ten horror movies. Uh, do that by midnight Pacific time, Wednesday, October 16th. Yes. I think that's Pacific Daylight time. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at The Pretension. You can follow Tyler at More Lessons. That's the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, at morethanonelesson.com. My other podcast is the uh, weekly television uh, review wrap-up uh, show, Hey, Watch This, with Paul and David. This week we'll be talking, of course, about the Breaking Bad finale and the Homeland or Homeland premiere. Um <laughs> Now, we, we gave the URLs, Eric, but uh, what about personal uh, Twitters or Facebooks or anything you want to give out? Um, well, the, the film, uh, is, is there is a, a Facebook page. Okay. Which I should know what that is. <laughs> um, and the Twitter feed is KTM underscore film. Okay. At KTM underscore film is our Twitter feed. Uh, and our Facebook page is, uh, you know, the all the www.facebook.com <laughs> yeah. yeah uh killing the messenger the deadly cost of news all one word okay. oh wow That's all right a, yeah well uh this was an awesome episode thank you so much for thank being you here. guys this for having great. me back it's great to be back I, I, let's hope to do more let's make it not right. another 200 and whatever yeah. Yeah. three all yeah. right oh man but wouldn't it be funny that'd be a that'd be a fun running <laughs> gag <laughs> so all uh, right we of course won't be doing this in 253 no weeks. question we'll probably it. be dead no question uh, thank you at, home at for listening. Other, at each other's hands <laughs> thank you at home for listening we'll get you next time <laughs> bye bye This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 